and welcome aboard. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast. This is Monday, June the 28th. It's uh, summertime, as you well know. Many of you are enduring really record heat. My goodness, we have a couple of sons that live out in Portland, Oregon, and it's been like 106. I mean, Portland, Oregon does not get to be 106. We've had four or five days of rain here in a row, off and on rain, but those thunder showers that come rolling in in the summertime, and it's been raining pretty good in the last few minutes. And you might hear a couple big boomers out there, so don't be scared. There's no uh, really severe weather expected. Anyway, glad to have you along. Uh, on Mondays, we play an old-time radio comedy, and we have a good one lined up for you today. We'll tell you all about it in a minute. But what we need you to do is get relaxed, get cool, get something cold to drink, get over in that big chair, uh, get your feet up, get in front of the air conditioner, just relax, unwind, and get ready for this week's old-time radio comedy, which is coming up in just a moment. Comedy Corner this week, we are going to play an episode of The Great Gildersleeve. Now, for those of you that are old-time radio buffs, you're very familiar with The Great Gildersleeve because it was a show that ran for many, many years on NBC and really was considered one of the better radio shows. Well-written. It was a, a funny show. Great Gildersleeve actually went on the air way back in 1941. Because it was on for so long, many of us remember the Great Gildersleeve. And we remember Hal Peary's very definitive laugh, as you'll hear in the show tonight. Gildersleeve was a spinoff of Fibber McGee and Molly. The story goes that Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve left the Gildersleeve Girdle Works in Wistful Vista and hopped a train to nearby Summerfield. There, he was called on to manage the estate of his recently departed younger sister and her husband, and to look after their children, Evelyn, who was later renamed Marjorie, and Leroy. Kraft Food signed on as the sponsor, and the great Gildersleeve made its official debut on NBC Radio in August of 1941. Now, settling down in Summerfield, Gildy lived with his niece and nephew, Marjorie and Leroy, and eventually landed a job as the water commissioner in the city of Summerfield. 
Throckmorton soon became Summerfield's most prolific bachelor. He was on the prowl, it seems, for the course of the show, and he developed a bevy of girlfriends. Perhaps the best remembered of these uh, girlfriends was the syrupy Southern belle named Leela Ransom, who always threw in a few extra syllables when she called him by his name, Throckmorton. But there were others. There was the schoolteacher by the name of Eve Goodwin, and then there was Leela's cousin, Adeline Devereaux, and then there was a nurse by the name of Catherine Milford, and I'm sure there were others. The great Gildersleeve differed from its parent show, Fibber, McGee, and Molly. The characters were more realistic, the storylines were more realistic, and the humor was just gentler. I don't know how else to put it. On Fibber, McGee, and Molly, let's face it, it was such a funny, great show, but it was more based on a vaudeville format. While each episode of uh, The Great Gildersleeve can be enjoyed as a standalone episode or understood on its own, it often developed extended storylines that sometimes lasted for weeks or even for an entire season. Okay, enough talk. Let's listen to this episode that was originally broadcast on NBC back on June the 2nd in 1946. The title is simply Meet Eve. And here it comes. The Kraft Foods Company presents The Great Gildersleeve. Yeah. It's The Great Gildersleeve, starring Harold Perry, brought to you by the Kraft Foods Company, makers of a complete line of famous quality food products. Good morning, Mr. Gildersleeve. Good morning, Bessie. A little late. Bring your book into my office, will you? I'm going to dictate some... What's this? Roses? Mm-hmm. For me? Uh-huh. Who from? Read the note. It's tied on there. Uh, Mr. Gildersleeve, congratulations and best wishes on your fourth anniversary as water commissioner. From Bessie. Well, now that's very nice. I hope you like them. Like them? I should say I do. <laughs> Bye, George. <laughs> Is it really four years? Four years today. Four years. You know, Bessie, if anyone had told me four years ago that I was going to be a water commissioner, I'd have said they were crazy. They would have been, too. How did you ever come to go into the water business, Mr. Gildersleeve? That's a fair question. Just fate, I guess, Bessie. Just fate. Fate. What a plumber. (laughs) You know, if things had been different, Bessie, I might have been a singer. Or even possibly an actor. (laughs) What's so funny? I've done acting in my time. Right here in Summerfield, too. Really? I can't imagine you. I mean... You can't imagine me what? I can't imagine you... Well, kissing people. There are other things to acting besides kissing, Bessie. This part called for very little kissing, as a matter of fact. Unfortunately. (laughs) It was something Marjorie got me into. My niece. She was mixed up with a little theater group here one year. A character named Bruce Fairfield was running it. I don't remember how I ever got sucked into it, but the first thing you know, they had me doing everything, including playing the leading role. Why, Mr. Gildersleeve... Think I couldn't do it, do you? Well, that's what a lot of people thought. I'll never forget the time Mr. Peavy first got wind of it. <laughs> uh, sit down, Bessie. You'll love this. <clears throat> yes, sir. I'll never forget. 
I walked in there to PV's one morning and I had a Good morning, Peavy. Good morning, good morning, good morning. What have you got there, Mr. Gildersleeve? <laughs> got some posters. Just had them printed up. Gonna let you have one for your front window. Well, that's real nice. If I can get this darn string... There. I suppose you saw the story in this morning's papers. Sorry? No, I didn't. Why, it was on the front page. Well, I don't usually get to see the paper till evening. Mrs. Peavy likes to read The Lost and Found at breakfast. Uh, what was the story? Uh, it tells all about it on the poster here. There you are. Hmm. The Little Theater in the Dell presents Cyrano de Bergerac, starring Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve. That's right, Peavy. Well, I didn't know you had dramatic talent, Mr. Gildersleeve. I didn't know it myself till two days ago. <laughs> well, congratulations. Mrs. Peavy and I will have to try to get to that. Come one, come all, and bring your friends. Here, I'm going to leave you some tickets, too, Peavy, in case you can sell any. Oh, I'll be glad to try. I'll leave you a dozen to start with. You'll find the prices printed on them, $1.10 and $1.65. Mm, those are mighty handsome tickets, Mr. Gildersleeve. You ought to be able to sell a lot of those. Well, anything you can do will be appreciated, Peavy. You know, it's so long since I've been to see a real live play. I, I used to go all the time as a younger man. You did? Every time Maxine Elliott came to town, I, I never missed. She was lovely, Mr. Gildersleeve, lovely. Yes, I've heard she was. She was what you call a real beauty, Maxine Elliott. She was lovely. <laughs> <laughs> Must have been a long time ago, Peavy. Thirty years, at least. Well, no, I wouldn't say that. I, uh, well, I, I guess it is, though. Thirty years. <laughs> How time flies. She was lovely. You seem to have had quite a crush on her, Peavy. I would have married Maxine Elliott if she'd asked me. <laughs> of course, I was unmarried at the time, but I, I still think of her sometimes, even to this day. I think of Maxine Elliott, and then I look at Mrs. Peavy, and... Oh, well, we all have our points. Gildersleeve, the famous actor. Oh, hello, Floyd. I guess you heard. Yeah, I read in the paper. Well, it be haircut? No, I'm on my way home. I just stopped in to leave you one of these posters. Oh, thanks. You don't think I need a haircut, do you, Floyd? Well, I got the judge coming in in a few minutes. Guess you'll keep a couple of days. <laughs> Mustache looks a little ragged, though. You might just give it a little trim. Oh, sure. Climb up in the chair there. Uh, well, we're having our first rehearsal this evening, Floyd. That's so? Say, so what kind of a play is this, Cyrano, Mr. Gildersleeve? It's a love story, Floyd. Greatest love story ever told on the stage. Oh? Say, um, guess those actors in those love scenes, guess they do plenty of schmoozing now, Mr. Gildersleeve? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, Floyd. Oh, yes, you do. <laughs> well, you still haven't told me what the play's about. Well, tell the truth, I haven't had time to read it yet, Floyd. <laughs> Vince are busy with getting the tickets printed and getting the posters out and one thing and another. Oh, here's the judge. Sorry, I'm a bit late, Floyd. Well, Romeo. Oh, shut up. <laughs> Be right with you, Judge. Just giving Mr. Gildersleeve's mustache a little trim. Trim it pretty, Floyd. Trim it pretty. He's a matinee idol now, you know. The old goat. Tell him to keep his remarks to himself, Floyd. 
Our friend seems to be getting a trifle temperamental these days, but I suppose you have to expect that of an actor. <laughs> oh, uh, who's this Bruce Fairfield, Gildy? He's the director. You ever heard of this play they're doing, Judge? Mr. Gildersleeve tells me you don't even know what the play's about. I didn't say that, Floyd. I Cyrano? said I... Why, it's a classic. Every schoolchild knows Cyrano. And for all my joshing, it's a play that is really very well suited to our friend here. That's more like it, Judge. I can see why Mr. Fairfield chose Gildersleeve for the part. Well, that's funny. I never would have thought of me as the type. The story, Floyd, is about a man so homely. In fact, so repulsive in appearance that no woman would ever look at him. Oh! <laughs> oh, you mean like the Phantom of the Opera? <laughs> Floyd, let me out of this chair. Yes, sir. Now, Gildy. Booker, is that true, what you just said? So help me, Gildy, that's the story of the play. Well, I'm going to do a little checking up. And if you're right... Yes? I'll kill that Bruce Fairfield. Throckmorton. Eve, have you got a minute? Well, certainly. Come in. I can't. That is, I can't stay. I've got to get down to rehearsal. We're having our first reading of the play tonight. But before I go down there, there's one thing I want to know. What's that? That Bruce Fairfield. Is he trying to make a monkey out of me? Why? Because if he is, I'll punch him right in the nose. Well, goodness, whatever gave you that impression, Throckmorton? Well, this play he got me into, Eve. This Cyrano. I hear where it's about a fellow who's so ugly the women won't even look at him. Well, not ugly exactly. It's just that he has a big nose. E enormous, in fact. Eve. Do you think I have a big nose? Oh, no. But they'll change it to fit the part. You know, build it up with putty and makeup. Well, I don't know that I want to be going around with a big nose in front of a lot of people. Throckmorton, I'm afraid you haven't read the play. What do you mean, I haven't read it? I've got it right here with me. My only last Throckmorton. night... Throckmorton. Well, I've been busy. <laughs> well, perhaps I should explain, then, that without Cyrano's grotesque nose, there'd be no play. His disfigurement is the whole cause of the tragedy. Tragedy? Yes. You mean I die in the end? Of course, at the end of the fifth act. Well, I don't know that I like that so much. But all the great actors die. Hamlet, Julius Caesar, Macbeth, they all die in the end. All right, I'll die then. <laughs> no, it's a beautiful story, really. Cyrano is a soldier, one of the greatest swordsmen in France. <laughs> and he's also a poet and very romantic. He has a comrade named Christian, and both of them are in love with a beautiful girl named Roxanne. Mm, Roxanne, eh? But here's the sad part. While Cyrano is ugly, even grotesque-looking, Christian is very handsome. I think I'd rather play the part of Christian. But Christian is really a very empty-headed young man. I don't care. Those fellows do all right. <laughs> now, Throckmorton, wait till you hear the rest of the story. Christian is so stupid that when he makes love to Roxanne from beneath her balcony at night, he can't think of anything to say. So he persuades Cyrano to hide in the bushes and make romantic speeches to her. And Cyrano does it? He even writes Christian's love letters for him. And you think Christian is stupid? But don't you see, Cyrano is so aware of his own ugliness that he'd never dare to tell Roxanne of his love for her. The only way he can make love to her is through Christian, as it were. Oh. Well, that is kind of tough. It's tragic. Because it's Cyrano's voice, Cyrano's words, Cyrano's passion that wins Roxanne for Christian. Well, doesn't she ever catch on to this four-flusher? Well, that's just the point. 
Before she has a chance to find out that he's not the man she thought he was, he's killed in battle, dies a hero's death. And for years, she goes on believing that Christian was the great love of her life. While Cyrano, she just treats as a kind and amusing friend. Well, gosh, that doesn't seem very fair. Oh, but then there's the most wonderful scene. Have you the script there? Uh, yes, here. Thanks. There's the most wonderful scene where Cyrano is dying. He's been attacked by an assassin and he's dying. It's in a garden and he's alone with Roxanne. And here it is. Come, sit down here beside me, Throckmorton, and let's read it. Sure. You be Roxanne, huh? <laughs> you see, it's late in the afternoon, almost dusk, and the light is failing. And all through the scene, the autumn leaves are falling. It's very sad. Roxanne takes out a love letter that she's been carrying next to her heart all these years. The letter that was written to her as Christian lay dying on the battlefield long ago. She doesn't know it, but it was Cyrano who wrote the letter. And Cyrano takes it from her and reads it now. Read, Throckmorton. Huh? Oh. But you, Roxanne, I am dying. Dying tonight, my dear beloved. My heart is still full of love you've not heard. And I am dying. But how you read it, Cyrano. Never again will my eyes know the ecstasy of seeing you. I imagine those dear gestures that I love to watch. And I cry out to you. You are reading. I cry out at in you. In a voice. My dear, my dearest, my treasure, my love. Why, in a voice that I've heard before. My heart has never left you for a second. I am and always shall be, even in the other world, the one who loved you beyond all love. Cyrano, you cannot be reading now. The light is gone. And now for 14 years, you have been the good, kind friend coming to amuse me. Oh, Roxanne. Oh, Eve. Morton. I can't help it. It's so sad. Well, Bessie... There may have been better productions of Cyrano, although I never saw one. There never was one that had so many directors. What does a director do, Mr. Gildersleeve? Director? He just sits around and bosses everybody. He doesn't do anything, actually. Oh, just like in the movies. <laughs> exactly, yeah. But my trouble was I had so many amateur directors. Everybody around the house was telling me how to read my lines, including Bertie. Marjorie was busy rehearsing a play for the following week, but she wasn't too busy to put her two cents worth in. Start here on page 12, Hunky. All right, try to remember. I doff my chapeau with an air. My mantle I toss to a lackey. I draw my bright sword from its sheath. Uh, I draw my bright sword from its sheath. Darn it. Start over again. Yes. I doff my chapeau with an air. What you doing, off rehearsing? <laughs> yes, Leroy, and I'll thank you not to interrupt my concentration. Okay. I can listen, can't I? If you'll be quiet. Oh, Sure. I doff my chapeau with an air. Would you mind telling me what the story's about? Oh, for heaven's sake, Leroy. I've told you a thousand times it's about a man named Cyrano. In this scene, he's fighting a duel. Now be quiet. Okay. 
Are you going to do the fighting on the stage? Certainly. Mr. Fairfield showed me all about fencing. Bruce is a beautiful fencer. Yeah, one more lesson and I'll be able to cut his head off. <laughs> What's the duel about, Unc? Uh, oh, well, this fellow insulted Cyrano. How? He, um, makes fun of Cyrano's nose. That's very funny. It's not very funny. Nothing funny about it. It's psychological. Cyrano thinks he has a big nose. He's uh, very sensitive about it. I don't get it. Why does Cyrano think he has a big nose? Because, uh, well, because he has. Leroy, I can't possibly learn this part if you're talking all the time. Why don't you go out and play? Nobody to play with. Well, call up Piggy and ask him to play with you. He has a cold. His mother won't let him out. Then call up somebody else. Only for heaven's sake, leave me alone. I'll call Piggy. All right. Now, let's see. I doff my chapeau with an air. My mantle I toss to a lackey. I draw my bright sword from its sheath. Hello, Piggy. This is Leroy. Hello, Piggy. Hi, George. I might as well try to rehearse in a boiler factory. Can you come over, Pig? Gosh, Uncle Mort, I might as well be rehearsing my play. Oh, Marjorie, tonight's my dress rehearsal, and your play doesn't go on until next week. We can have lots of fun over here, Pig. Can't you sneak out? None of that, Leroy. I've got some difficult scenes, too, but nobody helps me. Let's do Cyrano, Marjorie. Did you hear Uncle Mort's going to be in a show, Pig? Yeah, he's going to be an actor. You better not let him hear you say that. <laughs> What did he say, Leroy? All right, do your old play. I'm going to rehearse mine. Fleetwood, there's something I must know. Fle- I've got I to know it. I simply can't go on. Yes, have you got any special desires for dinner? Dinner? Yes, Bertie. I want to have it somewhere far, far away. Oh, you mean you're going out? No, I'm just speaking figuratively. I don't know what the story's about exactly. A Cary Grant part? No, it's more like Jimmy Durante. Oh! <laughs> Leroy, terminate the conversation. But We'll have no chats. I doff my... Oh, if you only knew how I've lain awake night after night. Miss Marjorie, what's the matter with you? (laughs) Night after night, my pillow was wet with tears. You poor child. I doff my chapeau with an air, my mantle I toss to a lackey. I draw my bright sword from its sheath. I think my uncle is wacky. Leroy! No, 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 no. The fireplace goes over here. Cast, just relax for a moment, will you, till we get this set right. Uh, good evening, Fairfield. Oh, hello, Mr. Gildersleeve. Good evening, Bruce. Hello, kitten. <laughs> hello, everybody. Oh, hi, Mr. Well, all ready for the dress rehearsal? <laughs> I got my lines perfect now. Let's have some light here, shall we? Larry! Lights! <laughs> Would you mind moving that chair back a little, please? Uh, thank you. Now, oh, Mr. Gildersleeve. Uh, say, isn't this setting a little modern for Cyrano, Mr. Fairfield? I thought that's in my department, of course. I uh, wanted to talk to you about that old man. We're not going to be able to do Cyrano. We're not going to be able... What did you say, Fairfield? We can't do it. You see... Well, this is a fine time to tell everybody. The night before it's supposed to go on. I'm sorry, old man. It's just... Everybody in town expects me to appear tomorrow night. We've sold all these tickets. There are posters all over advertising me. That was your idea. If you hadn't rushed out and had them printed up... Listen, why can't we put on Cyrano? Why? Give me one good reason. Well, I don't feel that it's ready yet. What do you mean it's not ready? I know every line in the play. I've worked hard. I say it's simply not ready for production. 
I have my professional reputation to think of, you know. What about mine? I've been rehearsing for two weeks. I've told all my friends. And now, by George, I'm going to do it. Listen, you fat idiot. Whoop. If you think I ever, for one moment, intended to sully my professional reputation by allowing you to appear on any stage whatsoever under my direction... So that's it. You've been just using me. Well, let me remind you, Fairfield, that I'm chairman of the finance committee for this theater. And if you... I, I, I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. Not a word of it. Forgive me. My nerves, you know. All these rehearsals, the strain. I could bite my tongue out. Well, go ahead. <laughs> Mr. Gildersleeve, if you'll only listen to me for a moment. No. Marjorie. Yes? Come here a moment, kitten. Ask your uncle to listen to me. I don't understand, Uncle Mort. What's going on? Well, this weasel... I'm merely suggesting... That we defer Cyrano until our second production. Oh? Yeah, that's it. Cyrano will be our second production. Now, what I propose to do, with your uncle's permission, of course, is to put on Delicate Adventure tomorrow night. My play? We've been rehearsing it for a month. It's in much better shape than Cyrano. <laughs> what do you say, Mr. Gildersleeve? You knew you were going to do this all the time. Yeah, well, let me put it this way. It's a chance for Marjorie. She plays the lead. You don't want to stand in the way of an opportunity for her, now do you? Of course not, only... I'll tell you what. We'll find something for you to do in tomorrow's production. Oh, it will have to be something you can learn quickly, of course. Will you do it? Well, for Marjorie. Oh, Uncle Mort, you're a lamb. Yes, you're a lamb. I am not. <laughs> and don't you mind if your part is small. I know you'll be great. <laughs> Here we are, Leela. G, 10, and 12. Oh, my, these are lovely sea towers. Well, we don't want to miss any of Gildersleeve's artistry. Oh, Horace, hush. Here's a program. Can't tell the hams without a program. Horace. Mercy, Horace, what's this? The Little Theater in the Dell presents Delicate Adventures starring Bruce Fairfield. What? Say, we've been swindled. Floyd, huh? did you see this? Well, I'll be done. Hey, look, Peeves, there's nothing about Gildersleeve. No Gildersleeve? No. Well, what's happened, Leroy? I thought your uncle was the big attraction tonight. Well, they switched at the last minute, but I'm going to be in it. <coughs> Lower that backdrop. Okay. Little more. Yeah. Little more. That's right. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. How do I look, Marjorie? Just fine, Uncle Mort. How do I look? Just like an actress. I wouldn't know you. Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it fun? It's horrible. Marjorie, don't go away. Why not? What's the matter? I'm nervous. I'm nervous as a bride. Oh, Uncle Mort, you can't be. I am. I'm not going to be able to remember a thing I've got to say. I just know it. Oh, you've got to. Hey, look, they're dimming the house lights. They're uh, ready for you. Uh, Marjorie, I can't. Ready with the curtain. All right, Mr. Gildersleeve. Now. He... <laughs> You'll be all right when you get out there. Well, here I go. Good luck. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, because of a local fire ordinance, I've been asked to request there be no smoking in the theater. I thank you. You'll have to go out and quiet them. They're your friends, evidently. Well, I'll do what I can, Fairfield. We want Gildersleeve. We want Sarah. All right, folks. Hey, quiet, please. Quiet, quiet. Yeah. 
Gentlemen, the manager's management has just asked me to make a small announcement. You tell her, Mr. Gillisleeve. Uh, hi, Floyd. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Owing to circumstances beyond our control, ladies and gentlemen, we were unable to uh, present Cyrano to Bergerac tonight. Owing to uh, uh, circumstances beyond our control, <laughs> I said that. <laughs> Instead, we were forced at the last minute to substitute a very fine little production called uh, uh, Delicate Something or Other. Uh, oh, but we're going to give you Cyrano next time, ladies and gentlemen. Cyrano will positively be our second production. Give us a sample of it, Gildy. Yeah, give us a sample. A sample? Uh, well, I, I don't know that I could do that. Ah, oh, come on. But I'll tell you what I will do. I'll sing you a song. A song? Oh, do sing us a song. Hello, Leela. Eh, conductor. Uh, you know, uh, uh, hmm? in the key of C... Fine. Well, do the best you can with it. This is the kind of song Cyrano might have sung to a lady if he didn't sing through his nose. In dreams I kiss your hand, madame, your dainty fingertips. And while in slumberland, madame, I'm begging for your lips. I haven't any right, madame, to do the things I do. Just when I hold you tight, madame, you'll vanish with the night, madame. In dreams I kiss your hand, madame. And pray my dreams come true. Hey, give us another song, Mr. Gillespie. Uh, another? Hey, something leaking. <laughs> oh, uh, just a minute, folks. Uh, uh, Mr. Fairfield, our director, has something to say to me. Yes? You are a trouble ham. Get off the stage so we can get on with the play. You sent me out here. Now go chase yourself. Gildersleeve, if you think I'm going to let you play Cyrano after this performance... Listen, either I play Cyrano next week or I'll sing Chloe right now. <laughs> you beast! Ladies and gentlemen, let me remind you, next week, Frockmorton Gildersleeve in Cyrano de Bergerac. <laughs> All right, on with the play. <laughs> Every now and then, the great Gildersleeve has an adventure which you folks seem to enjoy so much that you tell us we'd like to hear it again. So we're devoting these last weeks of our season to recalling some of the great man's early escapades. That's right. We'll have another one next week, so be sure to listen in. <laughs> Good night, folks. Now, a wonderful help in menu planning. It's Pabstet, the delicious cheddar cheese food that's so nourishing, so easy to digest, so easy to serve in a hundred appetizing ways. 
Fabstaff spreads, slices, toasts to perfection for sandwiches and snacks. And Fabstaff melts smoothly into a luscious golden cheese sauce. You can pour over tasty dishes of macaroni, eggs, and fish. Yes, there are a hundred delightful ways to enjoy Pabstat's rich, mellow cheddar cheese flavor. So buy both varieties of this delicious cheese food, Golden Cheddar Pabstat and Pimento Pabstat. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. From June the 2nd, 1946, The Great Gildersleeve. And uh, we'll talk more about The Great Gildersleeve in the weeks ahead because we will play more of these great episodes. It really was a good show, and I have a whole file full of these shows. And many of them are in very, very good sound quality. So if uh, if you like The Great Gildersleeve, send me a note, bob at boomerboulevard.com. And I will make sure that we play many of the ones that I have in my file. One thing quickly, I was fascinated by that ad at the end for Pabst et Cheese. Have you ever heard of Pabst et Cheese? It's Pabst, P-A-B-S-T, just like Pabst Blue Ribbon Beer, dash et, E-T-T. Well, I had never heard of it, and I thought, I'm going to find out about this. So I looked it up. And I found this most fascinating blog. Uh, the blog is vintagerecipeblog.com. And the author is B.R. Spiritus. Now, I wish I had a better name than that, like, you know, Beverly or Bob or Ben or Barbara, whatever. But it, it, it's B.R. Spiritus. This individual or these individuals go into a whole lot of nostalgia when it comes to recipes and food items. Fascinating. Look at it. VintageRecipeBlog.com. Now, I'm going to paraphrase what they had to say about um, this cheese because it, I, I, found it, I found it fascinating. It says, now here's a cheese with an interesting history. I agree. With a name like Pabst Et, it obviously had ties to the Pabst Brewing Company. Well, it ends up with the advent of Prohibition in 1920, the Pabst Brewing Company decided to get into the cheese business. The dairy itself was located west of Milwaukee, of course, Wisconsin being the dairy state, and Pabst used its former ice cellars in the brewery to age the cheese. One of the products they made was called Pabst Et. It was a processed whey cheese similar to Velveeta, but more spreadable. And then they make the comment, I think the product was more akin to the cheddar cheese spreads that come in the little crocks nowadays than to actual Velveeta. The cheese business was wildly successful for Pabst and ultimately brought Pabst and Kraft into a confrontation with one another over copyright infringement. After Prohibition ended in 1933, Pabst sold the cheese business off to uh, Kraft Foods, who continued to produce Pabst et cheese until at least the late 1940s. Isn't that fascinating? It said in an ad from the very late 20s, the main selling point seems to be that this cheese was digestible. For some weird reason, this was a major talking point for uh, for food products from that time period. Well, in doing some research about the vintage diet, it seems that people suffered from stomach ailments in the 20s on a more or less regular basis, 
and blamed it on indigestible food. Chances are they didn't have enough fiber in their food. So isn't that interesting? And here we had an ad for this in 1946, Pabst et Cheese. And I had never heard of that before. Where would we be without our senses? Unable to appreciate the true wonder of cheese. That's where. You've heard of Stinking Bishop. Well, feast your senses on Stinking Archbishop. Care for a slice, Gromit? Oh, well, no accounting for taste. up this week's uh, old-time radio comedy for June the 28th, 2021. Hope you enjoyed our selection. We're going to go out tonight with a couple of songs from uh, 1946, the year of that episode. The first one is from the Freddie Martin Orchestra, and the second one is from Mr. Bing Crosby. And both of these are kind of fun songs. The first one is actually from the uh, show Oklahoma which, did you know, opened all the way back in 1943 on Broadway? No kidding, Oklahoma, 1943. And the second one is kind of a, uh, kind of a classic. Hope you enjoy it. This is Bob Bro. I'm so glad you stopped by, and I'm so glad you met me. See you tomorrow with our old-time radio drama.
You don't have to look in a book to find what he thinks of the moon and what is on his mind. That comes naturally. That comes naturally. Out in Texas, can't even write his name. He signs his checks with X's, but they cash them just the same. Uncle Ben got angry when they caught him stealing chickens. I'm within my rights, said he, doing what comes naturally, doing what comes naturally. Cousin Jack insured his shack And now he plays with matches He'll collect, just wait and see Doing what comes naturally Doing what comes naturally Sister Sal, whose music Al Ain't never had a lesson Still she's learned to sing off key Doing what comes naturally Doing what comes naturally you don't have to go to a private school Not to turn up your bustle to a stubborn mule You don't have to have a professor's dome Not to go for the honey when the bee's at home That comes naturally That comes naturally My uncle don't pay taxes His address never gives They can't collect his taxes For they don't know where he lives Grandpa Dick was always sick, but never saw a doctor. He just died at 93, doing what comes naturally, doing what comes naturally. I drove a herd of cattle down from old Nebraska way. That's how I come to be in the state of Iowa. I met a gal in Iowa, her eyes were big and blue. I asked her what her name was, and she said, Sue City Sue. Sue City Sue, Sue City Sue. Your hair is red, your eyes are blue I'd swap my horse and dog for you Sue City Sue Sue City Sue There ain't no gal as true As my sweet Sue City Sue I asked her if she had a bone She said yes, quite a few but still I started courting my sweet Sue City Sue. The first time that I stole a kiss, I caught her stealing too. I asked her, did she love me? She said, indeed I do. Ah, Sue City Sue, Sue City Sue. Your hair is red, your eyes are blue. I'd swap my horse and dog for you. Sue, 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 there ain't no gal as true as my sweet Sue, Sue, Sue. Now 
I'm admitting Iowa, Iowa lot to you. Cause I come from Nebraska to find Sioux City Sioux. I'm gonna rope and tie her up, I'll use my old lasso. I'm a fixin' to put my brand on a sweet Sioux City Sioux.